So hey everybody, this is our special edition of the show, the live recording of the Candidate Forum put on by Green Country DSA. Uh, first of all, we'd like to thank GCDSA for the opportunity to facilitate and record the event. Uh, we would also like to thank all the candidates and audience members who came out to the event. Uh, additionally, we'd like to thank DreamAct Tulsa and Aware Tulsa for being coalition partners and submitting questions to the forum. Um, Finally, I, I really think we were able to get a good quality uh, recording of the event for the most part. Uh, and shout out to my co-host Parker for running the board during the event. Uh, unfortunately, though, parts of the recording, um, just due to the setup that we had, did get damaged. Um, I've done the best that I can um, to try and fix that. Um I think some of it is still pretty good. Um, most of it's decent, but I think there are parts that are, are a little hard to hear. I have included in the description of this episode um, a guide where it will show all of the times for and who was talking during those times and whether or not the recording was damaged. Um I, I do want to apologize for this inconvenience. Um, as we move forward, we're going to learn more and we're going to be able to do these kind of things better. Um, and uh, I, I really hope that we will be able to improve the quality of these kind of things in the future. But anyway, thank you so much for everyone who participated in the event. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for coming out today. Uh, this is going to be a very exciting discussion and I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing all of our answers. Uh, so we're going to start. Uh, we're going to start with uh, each being allowing each candidate ten minutes to do whatever it is you wish to discuss your platform and to introduce yourself to us. Um, and uh, for that, um, Mr. Doolittle over here will be giving you cues uh, for your uh, five minutes, three minutes. There you go. And so that's how we're going to do uh, that. You know, if you end your time and you have a little extra, you're more than welcome to uh, move on. Uh, so we're going to start off with Charles L. Wilkes running for City Council District 3. So I feel like that we need to first connect the people to our city better, and we need to work on our processes of funding and our processes of getting information out to the community. There are so many processes that are going on in the city that most of us don't know anything about, but it's all of our money that's being used to do it. And that's a problem in transparency, and that's a problem in uh, connecting the community to it. Um, you can't get a movement or a pro any process going without its people being involved. And I look at the citizens in this 
a lack of trust in our city government, our city's uh, generally government at all, really. Um, we only have three, uh, you know, working uh, neighborhood associations, and only one is actually really active out of a whole area. I don't have a precinct officer, and Mr. Kruger really lacks of all those types of things, of social factors that get people involved. And so I want to be a connector, and I want to help that process of us renewing transparency, trust, and progress in the community. Thank you. Uh, next, we have Forrest Mayer running for State House District 76. Hi there. Uh, I'm Forrest Meyer. Forrest Mayer couldn't make it. Uh, so uh, you guys were so kind to send me out a really uh, detailed questionnaire. So I've chosen to just kind of chop that up a little bit and talk a little bit out of what you guys sent me to make sure that you hear exactly where I'm coming from. Now, to begin with, I want to talk about my top three priorities. My first and most important priority is on education. Right now, our state is hemorrhaging good teachers. And this is because we have this funny system of, of cutting back taxes as far as possible and cutting taxes on corporations as far as possible and then cutting social services and education as far as possible and hoping that you will fill in the blanks. We'll talk more about that later. My stance includes full funding for public schools, universal pre-K, universal access to higher education, and a strong stance against school vouchers because I don't want my tax dollars going to parochial schools with no standard of education. Now, we have teachers here who have not seen a raise in over a decade. You can make more in Kansas walking off the stage than you can with a good decade or two of teaching here in Oklahoma. If you offered me $10,000 to work just about anywhere else, I couldn't come up with a lot of really good reasons why I shouldn't take that, and I don't think anybody else could either. So it's not unreasonable to say that these teachers are leaving. Here's where I'm at. I see a lot of potential here in Oklahoma. I see the potential for growth. I see the potential for great things. I want us to lead this nation, not lag behind it. I want to make an education system so great that teachers want to come here to find a better job that students strive to come to Oklahoma universities to get a great education. That's what I want. That's my first priority. Now, that's all very nice to say, but the next question is, how are you going to do that? Where are you going to find the money for that? Well, we can clean up our tax code a little bit. Did you know that we don't uh, re uh, require combined income tax record uh, reporting for corporations in the state? And here's what that means. A lot of corporations, especially multi-state corporations, can set up a small subsidiary company in another state and then pass all of their profits through that company so that they don't pay a dime in income taxes. Take, for example, Home Depot, who uh, has a company, I believe, called Homer LLC out in Delaware that has all the legal licenses for their logos, their branding, and everything. Every Home Depot has to pay all of their profits to Homer LLC in order to keep their store open. So as far as Oklahoma's concerned, Home Depot is barely making rent. And meanwhile, they give us absolutely nothing in taxes, and we cut their taxes that they do give us because, oh, my God, they're barely getting by. That's insane. I want to fix that. Now, skipping right ahead, I want to uh, jump into some of the other things that you've given me and be as succinct as possible here. For health justice, before the Health Maintenance Organization Act of 1973, profiting from health care was illegal. I believe in socializing and federalizing healthcare. 
so that we can have state-run hospitals that are as regular as state-run public schools. If you want to go to a private hospital that will deny you life-saving treatment because it's against their religious beliefs, you're welcome to. But everybody else can have safe and affordable, if not free, health care anytime they want it. Immigration. One of the most beautiful pieces of American literature I know reads, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses longing to breathe free. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And I think that summarizes my views pretty succinctly. In so far as decarceration, Oklahoma's prisons are currently operating at 112% capacity. Now that means one of two things. Either our people are genuinely evil and predispositioned to commit crimes, or our criminal justice system is broken. I intend to fix it by legalizing some things that should never have been illegal, by cleaning up some uh, felonies that should never have been felonies, and by going through and revising the way that we prosecute. Crime, especially drug crime, which makes up for 25% of our prison population, should be treated as a public health issue, not as a penal issue. And I see it's more important for us to incentivize healthy, productive, and legal lives rather than focusing on how we can punish those who break the law. It's time that we reevaluated our priorities. We already know that a high school education will reduce prison recidivism by over 50%. So do you want to be second in the nation for incarceration, or do you want to be second in the nation for education? I already know my choice. On labor solidarity, which is, I think is going to be a pretty good one for everybody here, I believe that companies like Walmart that have hotlines and playbooks and legal teams to find out just how to legally fire every employee who uses words like organize or union should be prosecuted. I believe that there's a reason why it took us two Roosevelts and a Reagan to get our country as socialist as it already is and make sure that we don't have trusts and make sure that we have a government that protects the weak and the small and the disenfranchised. There's a reason why one of my favorite things that Pete Seeger ever wrote was, uh, it was we who plowed the prairies, built the cities where they trade, dug the mines and built the workshops, endless miles of railroad laid. Now we stand outcast and starving midst the wonders we have made, but the union makes us strong. Oh, I love that, love the snaps. <laughs> Finally. Uh, my final top priority is on clean energy. I believe that we should put heavy incentives on green energy and uh, heavy carbon taxes on uh, fossil fuels and also open up vocational training for those whose jobs will be affected by those kinds of policies. It is not their fault that their industry is destroying the environment. It is not our fault either. We need to be responsible as well as compassionate. So I'm asking for your endorsement and here's why. It doesn't take a socialist to see that this economy isn't working for everybody. It doesn't take a genius to see that we have a homeless e uh, homelessness epidemic and we have more luxury houses for sale than we have homeless people. That doesn't make any sense. I aim to fix that. I see our relationships mutually beneficial. So if you want to help me, you can volunteer for me. You can donate to my campaign. But if you really want to help Oklahoma, after I get elected, watch me. Listen to me, watch every little thing that I do, hold me accountable, demand an explanation for every decision that I make, do not let me get off easy, and please, love of God, do that to everybody else as well, because organizations like this, concerned citizens like you, are what make this country great, and what make Oklahoma, well, as good as it could possibly be given the circumstances. You're the reason we're afloat. 
So please continue to do so, and don't give me any rest easy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Moving on, we have Mr. Rex Berry for U.S. House District Number 1. followed me, I'm, I'm pretty well established exactly what my, my ideas are, but first and foremost, before I talk about priorities, I'm, I'm concerned, what's our vision? What do we want Oklahoma to look like five years from now? What do we want this to be ten years from now? And what an old guy like me brings into this is what they call institutional memory. I look around and I see there might be a few people in here that can remember jukeboxes next to the table in the cafe. Am I the only one? Or come on, Jack, I know you do too. Uh, uh, the Dave Clark Five, things of that nature. You go, what's he talking about? Also at that time, I was a child of the Red Scare and where we had a drunken senator by the name of McCarthy that ruined a lot of lives, a lot of futures, and never found a single enemy communist. But he was using fear and confusion to drive people like he, like he was doing. That's the same thing that our ancestors did when they wanted to turn mammoths into breakfast. Take that, remove the word godless commies from it, and plug in LGBT, let's separate them. Take, up, take out the, the, the godless commies and plug in the Hispanic communities. They are systematically tearing our society apart in a divide and conquer. And while they're doing that, here's one thing to remember. When you see large groups of people suffering, no one at that level really cares who's suffering. Look and see who's making profit from it. There, the more profit you can make, if you can, can make, if you can force the Hispanic community to work at sub-minimum wage, and not demand social uh, services, you've now got a cheaper workforce. They don't want to run enough. By the way, the wall will never get built. Uh, history shows that the uh, Great Wall of China did not keep the Mongols out. Israel had to cut theirs off 100 miles short. And all it's going to take is like somebody's little drone to fly over with the drugs or people to go around. What it is is a huge boondoggle to pay for some construction projects. So they'll make a lot of money off of it. They'll call it off and they'll walk away. They're not going to deport 12 million uh, undocumented humans. That's the population of Ohio. How many trains, planes, automobiles, buses, ox carts will it take to get 12 million people out of the United States? And suppose Mexico says, they're not out yet. So now what do you do? It's not going to happen. But it's a great scare tactic. So my, my issues on this we've got to have a vision of a progressive Oklahoma. We have to have a progressive where we want to go. And we cannot get there by moving to regressive ideas from the 1950s and the 1850s. We ha must, have, must have policies that are far better than simply waving a Bible, waving an M16, and bashing the gay community. That is not a policy. That is hatred. We have to be inclusive to move people up. Uh, one of the really ugly terms, and here's where, here's where it's going to take a fight. How many keep hearing the term, there's awful entitlements? Has anybody looked up the term entitlement? It's actually something you've worked for. 
would listen to Tom Cole, our great congressman, a couple of weeks ago on MSNBC. And I believe it was Katie Tour who was talking to him and said, why did you just vote for this for this budget that you're now going to push us to a trillion-dollar debt? And he says, well, deficits will always be with us, but it's those evil entitlements. Entitlements like child lunch program, entitlement like Ogilvy Oaks Retirement Center, where when it looks like we're going to lose advantage, probably half of their people were in danger of not only losing their residence, which is very simple, losing food support, and their basic sanitary supplies. As a society, we can do better than that, my friends. We must do better than that. Oklahoma must do better than first in the world in female incarceration. We must do better than the third highest in teen pregnancy. We must do better than the third highest in infant mortality. We can't, from my age, I saw when Oklahoma did better than this. We're going to have to do it. Entitlements, though, what you're going to get and your benefits out of this society are not just going to arrive. I like seeing the people in here. I like seeing you. But you're going to have to fight for them. Entitlements mean power, and power translates to money. Now, to keep your fight going, you need to be fighting here, but if you elect me and put me in Congress, you'll have, a you'll have an agreed ear up here that says, it's time to get confrontational. It's time to take care of the people. So that's what you get with us. Thank you so much, Mr. Barry. Up next, we have Shay White running for State House District 77. And hey, don't be afraid of the microphone. You can go ahead and grab it if you'd like to.
Thank you so much. Next, we have Josh Martin running for State House District 70. I'm not afraid of the mic. <laughs> I brought some notes because I'm that kind of guy. I want to kind of stick in the beginning with talking about me. I know we're going to dive into the issues, but I want to let you guys know why I'm running. So friends, family, neighbors, let's talk. I have a lot of really clear flashbulb memories. And some of you may have heard this story already if you've been on my Facebook, because I've told it before, but this is what got me in. I have a lot of distinct memories from when I was growing up, riding around Xena in a truck with my grandpa. He was a volunteer firefighter. He had recently retired from Little Debbie. He'd been a route salesman for his whole life. And he worked really, really hard to get where he was. And I think that it showed in everything that he did. Um, and when we would ride around in that pickup, more often than not, we would talk about politics. He cared deeply about what was happening around him, what was happening to his family and his neighbors. And he never really told me to think or to feel a certain way about something. He would talk to me about the issues and he would ask me if I felt like something was fair. <coughs> um, so I watched him talk when we would ride around in that pickup truck and we would stop at an old convenience store and get some biscuits and gravy or we would stop at the fire department and talk to all the old men and, and they didn't always agree but I would watch him talk to them and the way that they would engage each other and express their ideas and it never got ugly. I got a sense for what politics should have been all along when I would ride in that pickup truck with him. He had a way of remaining civil, but getting his point across very firmly and usually getting somebody else to agree with him just by asking if it was fair. He died a few months before my 15th birthday and the impact was significant, not just on me and my family, but on the entire community and anybody who had ever met him. Um, just a few weeks before he passed, we were talking about politics. We were on vacation in Texas, and we were talking about politics, and I believe, if memory serves me right, that we were talking about Desert Storm and why this had happened and how bad it was. And I remember he was one of the only voices that I was hearing at that time that was dissenting and that did not think that America had any place doing what it was doing at the time. And I think that he knew that listening and talking about these things with him <sighs> meant a lot to me. So we were getting way out into the weeds about this. And I remember asking him, why doesn't anybody do anything if this is so wrong? And he said, you will. And the significance of that took a really long time to hit me. But in the past couple of weeks, it really has. I don't know how he knew. And I wonder how he could know that I would want to run for office someday. How would he know that I would continue to enjoy this and take the torture that a politician would want to take? <laughs> Who signs up for that willingly? Nobody. But he knew. He saw something. <laughs> and he was right. He was right about a lot of things. And he did sometimes get some things wrong. And I think that one of the things he critically got wrong that day was that I will not fix it, but we will as a community, as a group, as a people, as a town, as a state, 
we will come together and fix it together. I am not the only one. I'm looking at a room full of like-minded people. I don't need to tell you how I feel. I'm here because you know that I agree with you. We're coming together today because we will fix it, not me. We can fix our broken education system. We can provide health care to every, every Oklahoman and every American. We can stop the oil and gas cartels. We can create a criminal justice system that is fair and treats all of its citizens equally. We can turn Oklahoma into a state that truly takes care of its most vulnerable. My mother has been a public school teacher for 35 years. My father's a rancher, and he drives a school bus part-time. <laughs> he doesn't have to take care of the cows because he gets bored. <laughs> I know the value of hard work, and I'm not afraid to roll up my sleeves and affect change where needed. I know it won't be easy, and I know I can't do it alone, but I'm not afraid, and I'm ready to fight with you. Thank you so much. Next, we have Angela Graham for State House District 66.
Thank you so much. Next we have Teresa Marler for County Commission District 3. Hello, uh, my name is Teresa Marler. I'm running for Tulsa County District, uh, Tulsa County Commissioner District 3, pardon me. Um, I am running to help bring community back to the community. Um, when I was young, I remember going to my grandfather's in a small town. And every time we'd go, we'd go for a walk around the neighborhood and everybody that we saw, we would stop and have a little conversation with, see how they're doing, you know. And it always just kind of struck me as really awesome that they cared about each other that much and that they would help each other. And, you know, it was a community, they cared. Um, I want to kind of bring that small town feel to Tulsa County. Um, and one of the platforms that I'm running on is the homeless population. There, uh, I read an article that was published in January that there are 811 homeless people in Tulsa City right now, um, which uh, nationally, that doesn't sound like a lot, but locally, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And I want to help eliminate that issue. Um, because I don't think that that is just a Tulsa City problem. I think that's a county problem. Um, so that would be like, you know, Big C is included in that, and Broken Arrow is included in that. Um, so in you know part of the west area and north and yeah all of that um and i lost my thought sorry oh uh community involvement um by bringing more community involvement in everywhere uh you know all over tulsa county it will help impact the community and help grow the community to where we can rely on our neighbors and people down the street, people across town we can rely on. Um, and then my uh, third point that I'm running on is the food deserts. Tulsa and surrounding county, or Tulsa County, surrounding cities have a lot of food deserts and maybe we can include the other counties that are surrounding Tulsa County into 
solving the food desert problem. I did read that they are actually going to open up a grocery store um, in North Tulsa, but that's just one. How many more do we need in order to solve that food desert issue? As many dollar stores that are there, we need to, to put that many grocery stores down there. And West Tulsa too. Uh, West Tulsa is pretty, pretty dry also. Um, and downtown Tulsa, there's, there's not a grocery store downtown. Like 15th and Lewis is the closest one, I believe. Um, so uh, by bringing community together, by caring about each other, is how we solve these issues. And if, you know, a lot of these people up here on this panel get elected, I believe that we can solve the issues that Tulsa County and Tulsa have. Thank you so much. Um, next we have Kara Joy McKee for City Council District 4. All right, all right. And I'm gonna stand up so I can see all of your beautiful faces. Strange times we live in, right? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And there are more than 30 of us here on a glorious sunshiny day because it's strange and it's difficult and we aren't gonna put up with it. We're not gonna sit back. We're not gonna wait for someone else to fix it. We've decided to run for office or we've decided to make an educated decision about who we want to represent us in a representational democracy. If it's gonna be we the people, it has to be we, right? I am running for City Council District 4. Those of you who know me know that in the last four years, um, more than that if you count my time as a volunteer, I have worked at state level pu public policy. Um, I worked for the Oklahoma Policy Institute as the coordinator of the Together Oklahoma Coalition. Many of you were on my team and we went, <laughs> yes, and we went all over the state working very hard to get people out of their houses and talking to their legislators or staying in their houses if they needed to and calling their legislators and doing whatever it took to communicate with legislators and to let them know they work for us and that they need to be paying attention to what we need. And I can, I can hardly tell you how much I'm glowing with pride that many of the people on my team have run and have won and are at the Capitol and more of us are headed that way. I know everyone who is in office who lives in Tulsa at, at 23rd and Lincoln in Oklahoma City. I have personal relationships with all of them. You do not usually have city council having relationships with state level government. I think maybe that should change. I think maybe the federal level government those congressmen, maybe they should be meeting with the state level and the local level as well. If it's going to be we the people, how do we scale communication such that your street and your neighborhood gets the information that you need to your city council? It gets up to the state, it gets up to the nation, it goes out around the world and we make things better for everybody. That's why I'm running, because I want things to be better for everybody. Um, sometimes city government gets discounted um, people, I, I mean, y'all see it in the numbers in the elections, right? So many people have come out since 2016 who had never voted before, and I am so grateful to everyone who is new to the team, who is here. But sometimes those little elections, county commissioner, city councilor, school board, we don't, we don't do much about that. We don't focus in there. But what we know, what we know is the truth a hu very human truth that it can be demonstrated with data is the more you have more influence 
the closer to yourself you get in those concentric circles. I can influence my behavior. I can influence my close friends. I can influence my family and then my neighborhood and then my community and then my city. And as you go out, it gets harder to have that influence. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try. My dad has developed a relationship with Langford. Bless my father, I appreciate him <laughs> talking to Langford so much that, that Langford has started talking back to my dad and having these conversations. But these city and local races, they matter. They matter a lot. And some of those things that we can't get done at the state and national level, we're gonna have to do it right here. When a disaster hits, I lived near Moore when that May 3rd tornado hit. People in Tulsa sent money and supplies, but people in Norman got in the truck and went out there and hauled the stuff, the debris out of the way and made sure that people who were speaking Spanish who didn't have the IDs that the police officers wanted to let them back into their own neighborhood to their house had the translation services that they needed. Right here locally, your city councilor can be on the doors talking directly to people and knowing, okay, this woman is 84 years old and she is on oxygen and if a tornado hits her house, she may be without medicine and she may have a dog and she may need help right now. City government is essential. And so I really hope that you all will start becoming more engaged. Now I could talk about all sorts of issues and I know we're gonna get to that stuff more. Let me tell you just a little bit more about, um, about me and how, how I got involved with this. I first went to a city council meeting when I was in, in college and someone said, hey, they're trying to put in some bicycle lanes. And I said, well, I don't have a car. I ride a bicycle everywhere. I've been riding a bicycle everywhere since I was working my first job at 15 years old. And so I went to the city council meeting and they had miscellaneous discussion and I got up and I said something. And afterwards, the mayor pulled me aside and said, would you like to be on a committee? We have a city bicycle committee. And I was like, me? Me? They want me on a committee? I, I don't, I don't, I wasn't studying politics. I was studying botany and anthropology, people and plants. But I got on that city committee and then they put me on another committee, the Community Development Block Grant Committee, which decides very important things like where we put the money, which nonprofits get to use the service, the funds to, to implement the important services that our state is not taking care of, like schools and so on and so forth. I got on those committees, I started showing up, I started helping candidates run for office, I started seeing that when people run for office, sometimes they lose by as few as 25 votes. There are more than 30 of us in this room and each one of us knows 30 people that we can get to the polls. <sighs> right? I'm here, I'm here because democracy matters to me. I'm here because I want elected officials to engage directly with the citizenry. Um, I have been told that I should not knock every door. I want to knock every door, y'all. I want to actually hear from every single person in the community. I want Tulsans to be able to have great jobs, go being living healthy, well-educated lives, driving down smooth roads to get out and live meaningful lives, and having fun in communities where they feel safe and they know their neighbors. And I believe we can do that. I think we can absolutely absolutely do that. Tulsa doesn't always feel safe for everyone. And that shouldn't be the way it is. 
in knocking the doors, and I've been knocking the doors since the moment I announced back in November, I have found on this side of, this of, a, of a neighborhood, people are asking me if I know where they can get a job. And on this side of the neighborhood, people are asking me how I can make sure that the people on that side of the neighborhood aren't breaking into their cars. And these people do not know each other. We can change that. That is, a s is actually a more simple fix than a lot of people know, just getting out and meeting your neighbors. The perception of the danger is sometimes greater than the danger itself. I have been a community organizer since I was in fourth grade. And I, my, my passion is helping people build consensus. That is what I want to do. And in order for me to win and become a city councilor here in Tulsa, I need help. My opponents will have some big money backers. I come from a working class family that's working class as far back as I can go on Ancestry.com. And, and I need people like the 26 people who showed up at the library for me last weekend, like the folks who are with my husband out knocking doors right now, like the folks that are going to meet with me tomorrow and knock doors and who are going to give me the $5, the $25, the $100, the small donations that come together and make the community putting the investment into what they, what we want to see. The first thing I did before knocking doors was I put a survey on my website. KJfortulsa.com. KJfortulsa.com has the How's Your Tulsa survey, and it's for all Tulsans. So even if you don't live in District 4, and District 4 is the river to Yale, tw 244 down to 31st, anywhere in Tulsa, I want to hear from you. I want to know what matters to you. There's big decisions coming up, and I know we'll get to some more of those policy issues. Um, anything that I do will have ripple effects throughout Tulsa, Tulsa throughout the state, the nation, and hopefully throughout the world. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, finally, we have John Harlan III for City Council District 5. Hello, I'm John. Uh, I was actually born and raised here in Tulsa. I was born at St. Francis. Um, I lived here most of my life. Uh, I've seen a lot of good in this city. I've seen or a fair share of bad as well. Uh, but I've always seen a lot of potential in this city, and I think we can we can become better than what we currently have. Um, there's several uh, a number of key issues that uh, I I would uh, like to address if I uh, become city councilman. Uh, one is dealing with our homeless issue. Uh, for decades, this city has tried to hide its homeless problem rather than actually dealing with it. Um, I think we need to be uh, deal with it in a compassionate way. Uh, the city of Salt Lake City has already shown that uh, you can successfully deal with the homeless problem by providing them with homes and a caseworker so that they become get back on their feet and become productive members of, of the community. Uh, and not only that, but it's shown that it actually is cheaper for the taxpayers, uh, cheaper for the city to go that route than the one we currently go where we arrest them, uh, run them through the court systems, et cetera, and, and just repeat that cycle. Um, another key issue I think that needs to be addressed is we need major reform to the Tulsa Police Department. The Tulsa Police Department has a long history of corruption, of uh, 
instances like participating in the massacre of 1921 in Greenwood, uh, and has a long list of, of corruption cases, etc. And I think there's, uh, I think it's telling that in the state of Oklahoma, you have to spend more time training to be a hairdresser than you do to be a police officer. And I think that needs to change. Um, I think we also need to not only uh, we need to uh, also start training our officers with things like bias training and de-escalation, uh, non-lethal you know ways to deal. Uh, actually, training our officers to deal with people that are having emotional issues or this type of thing. Um, I, uh, Things like having a once fired, no hired policy, uh, where the city of Tulsa does not hire police officers that have been fired from other police departments for violent crimes, corruption, this type of thing. Um, uh, also, another issue I think we need to address is the bail system. Uh, in, uh, there are a lot of people that, are, that taxpayers are paying to take care of in the jail that could be out working jobs and spending time with their family simply because they can't afford to pay for bail. And that's un unreasonable to keep them in there until their court cases, especially with as backed up as our court system is. Uh, I think it's unfair. I think bail should be reserved for specific situations such as flight risks or other extreme situations, but it sh uh, bec because you can't afford it should not be a reason you have to stay in jail. Um, also, I'm very supportive of our education system. I think our teachers put out a lot of effort and a lot of extra time that's not counted on their time cards and really deserve to be paid a living wage. They should not have to be going out. I have a number of friends that are teachers that have to go out and find second and third jobs just to be able to make ends meet. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. If we want these people to teach our children, we need to be, they need to be able to do that and not be worrying about other things. <laughs> so I do fully support funding of public education, of pre-K. Uh, I am against school vouchers. I think we need to uh, concentrate on the uh, public schools we have. I also think we need to reform our, the way money is distributed to our school systems here in Tulsa. Uh, as it currently stands, those that uh, in neighborhood, uh, those schools that are located in neighborhoods that have high property values get more funding, while those that, that are in poor areas do not. And I think, I think that should be changed. I think it should be distributed equally, uh, pooled and distributed equally among all of the school districts. Um, Oklahoma has a long history of uh, leftist politics, of working class. I'm working class. My family has been working class as far as back as the Trail of Tears when my great-great-grandmother came over uh, to Oklahoma. Uh, and our, uh, the original state motto was labor conquers all. And <coughs> So I think labor is very important and our lack of good quality jobs that pay a living wage is, I think needs to be rectified. And uh, don't wanna take a, a huge amount of time, uh, but I do have a number of ideas for that, dealing with that as well. And, uh,
we'll be launching my site, uh, my campaign website shortly, um, where you can volunteer or donate, you know, this type of thing. And um, uh, don't remember if I mentioned I'm running for District Five. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, really uh, sounds like that. All right. So that will conclude our introduction statements. And so now we're going to turn over to the panel discussion. We're going to ask you guys some questions and get some responses for you guys. We're going to do two minutes of response after your question. Mr. Doolittle will again be your timekeeper. Um, first, we have some coalition partners who are going to come up and, and ask some questions. And so first we have David Harlan from Aware Tulsa to ask some questions. Thank you for being here today. And thanks to uh, Grand Country DSA for putting this on allowing us to be here in coalition. Uh, as Aware Tulsa, we have three questions today. I'm going to be starting at the state level and moving down to the local level. Um, the first question is for Angela Graham. Will you commit to introduce and support legislation that holds the Oklahoma Highway Patrol to the highest standards of community policing, including implicit bias and de-escalation training, field procedure reform, and any initiatives demanded by Oklahoma's black and brown citizens in order to earn their trust? Thank you for that question. I think the last sentence that you just said right there is the key to this issue. When marginalized people and people of color are telling you that there is a problem and they're telling you what to do about it, we need to follow their lead. They're the ones that know best how they are impacted and how to fix it. So when communities of color are demanding implicit bias training, true community policing, de-escalation, um, stopping, you know, pretextual traffic stops, um, then we need to listen to them. That's absolutely something that I would support. It's part of my criminal justice platform. Um, we over-police people of color. Um, and it is not their responsibility to make sure that they're safe when they are a person of color and stopped. Because regardless of whether they do what they're told or not, most often their lives are still in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. So it is inherent upon the police forces at the city, county, and um, state level to implicit, to um, implement implicit bias training and de-escalation. Um, I also want to make sure that any reserve officers are not able to contribute and pay in to the counties that they want to work for. The pay to play is why we have high risk situations, mostly involve people of color being murdered and their lives being taken away. Um, we need functioning body cameras that are required to be on at all times because even when we implement those things, there are still departments that are refusing to make sure that reserve deputy officers have those on. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you for that. The second question is for Teresa Marler. Will you commit to hold the Sh Tulsa Sheriff's Office to the highest standards of community policing, including implicit bias and de-escalation training, field, pr field procedure reform, and any initiatives demanded by Tulsa's black and brown communities in order to earn their trust? Absolutely. I think that um, community, obviously my platform is on community and bringing community together. And with the Sheriff's Department not training in de-escalation, it is mind-boggling that they 
they haven't already implemented this. Um, because most of the time when you're in a discussion with somebody and you start screaming at each other, nobody's listening. Nobody, neither party is listening. And with the um, kind of commando attitude that a lot of police departments have now, uh, it makes it hard to actually have a conversation with the community when they think, oh, it's us versus them. It, yeah, yeah, I totally am for community policing, true community policing, and um, de-escalation policies and training on how to de-escalate a situation so nobody gets injured and no taser is even needed. Okay, our third question is to uh, all of the Tulsa City Council candidates. Um, will you commit to back initiatives to overcome North Tulsa's food swamp, including restrictions on dollar stores and incentivizing or subsidizing new full service grocery stores in the area? Uh, yes, I fully support that. Uh, I, in fact, I have a couple of ideas on some uh, possible solutions or at least to help with the solution of the lack of fresh fruits and vegetables uh, in uh, different areas of the city. Um, so yeah, I 100% support that. I will absolutely support that. I, um, I have been at the city council meetings where city councilor Vanessa Hall Harper and uh, current representative of uh, city councilor of District 4, uh, Councilor Blake Ewing, um, have, have eloquently spoken up for you know, the need to take action, whether it's a moratorium or some other action to make sure that everyone has access to healthy foods in North Tulsa. Um, and I've been dismayed to see how many of our city councilors said nothing. Uh, a few said some really embarrassing, awful things, but most of them said nothing. And I think that there's a real need for some more conversations and understanding among all Tulsans as to what it means to live in a food desert or a food swamp. Um, when I was growing up, my sister's favorite snack was sugar butter bread. And that's, what you, that's where you got white bread and you put butter and sugar on it. It's a cheap snack, it gives you a little sugar rush, and it's something that you can eat if you're poor. And it's easy to get. And I know what that kind of food does to families, and I know what it's like to live in a food swamp, and I know um, how much we have neglected North Tulsa and oppressed North Tulsa and are still not fully coming to grips with what has happened to Tulsa in the last hundred years and before, since Black Wall Street was first demolished and then demolished again by the highway and whatnot, I am, am committed not only ind individually and as a counselor, but as a counselor who, whose northern boundary is Greenwood. I want to help heal that. As I mentioned, I've already, I've already met with uh, Counselor Vanessa Hall Harper a little bit, and we're gonna continue talking, uh, whether she's in the office or anyone else is. I'll also just mention before I hand it over to Charles that I am um, on the board of Kendall Whittier Incorporated. It used to be Kendall Whittier Ministries. It's a nonprofit that has community gardens and an emergency food pantry. I know face to face the folks that need fresh vegetables. And um, as I've been knocking on doors, people are saying, what about Victory Gardens? I love helping people get out and grow their fresh food. But if they don't have time for that, having other options to be able to get fresh food like Katie Pluhockey's RNG market that's going around town to uh, neighborhoods that don't have groceries. There's a lot of great options and I, I, I support that fully. Yeah. Can
can you repeat the question really quickly? I want to make sure I personally know about this. The question is, will you commit to back initiatives to overcome North Tulsa's food swamp, including restrictions on dollar stores and incentivizing or subsidizing new full service grocery stores in the area? Thank you. Um, I still eat the, the sh sugar and butter uh, toast every now and then with my breakfast. <laughs> um, so I spoke um, at the city council twice um, in opposition um, of this new dollar store and in support for the moratorium. Um, I spoke because I understood that this was not just a fight about just this store anymore. This was a moral fight. This was a fight for all the wrongs and all the issues and all the problems we've had with city council for years, years. When I was little, my mom would take me every now and then. Um, I knew multiple of the city councilors, including uh, Roscoe, um, who was in District 3 of uh, the time that I was growing up until, of course, 2011. We won't go into that. Um, and I was challenged because I'm tired of people not supporting us that get paid by us. And for me, um, as uh, background, I'm an operations manager for a crossover development uh, company, which is uh, a part of crossover community impact. And I am, so for the people, I took a pay cut to do it. And so um, I want to let you know that um, any kind of development that's gonna be for our people, that's gonna bring jobs, like I hire people, um, and it's gonna bring fresh food and it's gonna bring fresh options for us, that's a no-brainer. We shouldn't even have to ask that. So next, we have a representative from Dream Act Oklahoma Tulsa to ask some questions regarding uh, uh, immigration. so I'm, I need to do a lot more research on it, but um, from the information that I have researched and received from uh, these, these fellow friends and panel members, um, <laughs> uh, this is um, not a good bill, and uh, I would be totally for getting rid of it. Okay, yes. Understood. If you are elected, would you be willing to support a Clean Dream Act with no strings attached? A Clean Dream Act with no strings attached. Yes. I got to live with that and got educated quite well on that when I was running for sheriff. Uh, first of all, the DREAM Act immigration is the responsibility of Congress and they have not done their damn job. That is how executive action came into being that created 287G and the DREAM 
it needs to become codified and made a law. As an executive action, as we have just seen, it becomes at the whim of whoever happens to be president. They can change the status of it, they can change the action of it, the conditions when they wish. And that's not a law, that's, that's close, pretty darn close to tyranny. So we need to be stepping in, that needs to be step up, codify it, make it very clear. Also, there should not, once the law is set, there should not be any changes in it so everybody knows where they stand. We cannot have uh, an attorney general that says, wait a minute, I want to do a sanctuary cities, which by the way, there's no definition of sanctuary cities. That goes away. And that they're going to cut money because people don't go out and start checking the DREAM Act re registers and checking for any kind of minor violation so they can destroy families. That, that, that is, that's just a morally wrong. That is, it, it's, uh, it offends me. Uh, if I can help Teresa just a little bit, I am fully in favor of ending 287G, and that was part of my platform as the sheriff, is for two reasons. I'm gonna back up if I'm allowed two more minutes. I wanna toss on this a second. Four years ago, Stanley Glanz, when he decided to build the Sheriff's Academy, told us everything we needed to know about what was going on. He didn't tell us in exactly those words, but he said it would be built with bond money, inmate labor, and assets forfeiture. Now, am I the only one that has a moral offense to saying we're going to build assets forfeiture into our budget? And the only way you get those kind of assets from that is attacking those that can defend themselves the least, that don't have the money to take it back to court. Or if I, if they decide to confiscate my car worth 10,000 and it costs me 15,000 to battle, what's going to happen to my car? Where you're getting into the improper policing is that is what happened with the Robert Bates stuff. He, the sheriff's office is responsible for less than 5% of the population of Tulsa County. Why do we need a patrol function? But they were outrunning their drug interdiction so that they could then start filing assets forfeiture. Now, if you want people that's doing that, you want the officers that are out there do, that, that's willing to do that, you don't go recruit them from people with more of an open mind. You go recruit and bring in reserves that have the same mindset as your administration. Now, if you really want to fight that, you're also going to have to fight the state legislature because the state legislature does not want to fund the training and the background and the work that goes with it. So that is what happened. 287G needs to be gone. Dreamers need to be protected. We must come up with ways to bring them into our society. They are big contributing factor. They are entitled to every right and privilege that's, that's a part of our society. Sorry, I'll, I'll get off my podium now. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Sarah from Dream Act, for coming out and talking to us about those things.
Uh, we're going to jump to a, a list of questions for everyone running for State House of Representatives. Uh, we have some general questions, but first we're going to, uh, I have a question for uh, Miss Angela Graham from District 66. Um, you regularly identify yourself as a teacher and a member of the working class. Why do you think it's important for teachers and workers to be represented at the Capitol? And what policies would you propose to assure that people like you are better represented in Oklahoma's political process? That is part of my platform. Um, representation matters. Like I stated before, when poor working class people are not running for office, it means that other people are making decisions on our behalf. And right now, they're not making very good decisions on our behalf. And they've created some really bad policies that hurt us. They've undermined unions. They've made sure to stalemate minimum wage. They've taken away our rights um, and fair compensation under workman's comp. Mm -hmm. um, we know that when poor working class folks are elected, then that their well-being and policies that represent them can be enacted. Um, at, so we need to return power back to everyday folks because that's how we get equity and representation and we get good economic policies that benefit everyone. Much. Uh, just as a, a very quick follow-up to that, um, what uh, what propositions would you want to see put forward to making uh, the capital more accessible to working class people? So, and I can't do this at the federal level, right? I can't overturn Citizens United by myself. But like I said, if you don't want PAC money and lobbyist money electing people, then we have to do it. And that's so hard to ask a poor working class person to then give to a campaign. But if we elect people and we get money out of politics at the local level, and right now we can't legislate that, right? But if we can do that at the local level and just encourage people, then, then we can do that. One of the things that we can do, and it's a great barrier to um, parents and working class people running for office, is that we can increase the amount that campaigns can cover for childcare. Right now it's just $1,000, okay? And that means that wealthy people people that have spouses um, or tight-knit family are going to be able to run for office. And so that means that working moms um, with children like me probably are not going to have access. And it's, I've done a lot of hard things in my life, but running for office when I have children at home and I don't have a spouse paying the bills is a barrier. And so if what comes out of me running for office is that more people like me know that they're going to have your support and your $5 and $10 and $25 to run for office so that they can be represented, then that's a start. And I think we're putting some fear in to people, the legislature, because we're going to have a voice. Thank you so much. Uh, these next two questions are going to be for uh, everyone running for State House of Representatives. Um, and this one's a, a bit of a longer one, but uh, I hope you'll stick with me. And if you need me to refresh anything, you just let me know. Uh, with the failure of Step Up Oklahoma, House Democrats have signaled support for a new revenue plan based on a 75 cent a pack cigarette tax and a 3 cent per gallon increase to the motor vehicle tax as well as a gross production tax of increase of 5%. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, <laughs> that's going on right now. Um, and I'm keep getting responses from people like, where are you? 
Um, <laughs> but I just want to say um, a little bit about me. You know, it's cool to talk about all the programs and all the stuff that I can do, but to hear about how I got to this point um, is a little more incredible than that. I come from a, a, a you know a single parent home. I have a disabled sister who lives with me and my wife now. Um, I'm a graduate of McLean from 2011. Um, I am not a college graduate yet, and um, I have a father who has uh, spent more than half my, his, my life in prison and um, had a lot of things to deal with as I grew up, living in a you know, single-parent home and all that kind of thing. Um, but half the fight was getting to this point to be ap applicable to run for office. And so this part is the easy, fun part for me. Um, to be able to show people that we're people too, that have the same issues, that have a lot of the things that have gone on, that we're able to be at this floor, to be able to, to be accepted into these positions and make things happen, just as much as people that had a silver or gold or platinum spoon. And um, I would say that I look more like the people in my district than someone that has not had to work and has not had to struggle through the things that are going on. And so I feel like my whole life and all the things that I've had to deal with, including with TPD and including with all the different stuff I've dealt with with this city, um, has led me to this moment to be a great candidate to represent the city and to represent the people in the city because I understand what's going on. And so thank you for your time. See you soon. Thank you so much, Mr. Wilkes. Uh, anyway, representatives, uh, I like I've been saying, uh, with the failure of Step Up Oklahoma, House Democrats are proposing some marginal tax increases. Um, assuming you win, would you be willing to support this plan? And uh, more broadly, do you think it's important to compromise on something like a GPT hike lower than 7% for short-term goals like teacher pay raises? Or do you think it's more important to instead fight for longer-term goals like creating sustainable revenue for the state government? Um, I'll start with Mr. Martin. And we'll go to the left, to the panel's left. This is such a good question. Um, <laughs> so this is where I like to get real wonky on policy. This is my stuff. I completely oppose regressive tax structures. I am not in favor of putting the tax burden on the shoulders of those who can least afford it to give teachers a pay raise and nobody else in the schools. That doesn't mean I don't support teacher pay raises and that doesn't mean that I don't support any kind of raises on taxes. That means that the step up plan was short sighted and that it was not a good option. I heard a couple of weeks ago that every school in Miami doesn't have a librarian. Like, these problems are way bigger than a $5,000 pay raise for teachers. So it starts with raising the GPT higher than 5%, preferably minimum to its historic levels. Um, we <laughs> when we go to the grocery store, we're paying 9% on our taxes. Oil and gas can pay the same. Secondly, we need to focus on what Oklahoma has done to exempt the wealthiest among us from paying their share of taxes. We need to remove the capital gains deduction, and we need to restructure our tax brackets so that they're more fair to the people at the bottom, and the people at the top pay what they can pay. If my memory 
serves me right. I think I, I uh, remember what you want me to speak to. Uh, I'm wearing a shirt right now that says, help. Oil tax breaks are drowning our schools. And um, I'm representing this this, this, this distress. I'm containing this woman's anxiety. Uh, when I stepped up to run, it was due to my work with a fellow candidate here at the state level, particularly on budget issues. And as a social worker, I talked a little bit about the population I serve, including myself. Um, you know, it's personal for me at this point with provider rate cuts in mental health and healthcare. It's ridiculous that my, my company's scrambling every time this talk comes up um, to the point to where my salary is is up for you know debate um, so before I debate my salary let me debate my taxpayer dollars that I've already expended uh, to make sure that our schools are funded if I have to pay if I have to pay taxes on groceries let me just tell you the step-up plan was not written by legislators and if we enact and pass legislation that did not come from our body, 90% um, of the legislator's job is to legislate, and we pay them. So I'm not going to pay whoever you want to have their name listed on this thing, right, to come into our house, in our capital, and tell us how we need to legislate. We elect the people we want to represent us. And it's not oil and gas. And so um, I think oil and gas can do more than pay their fair share. I grew up in Louisiana where it's 13.2%. 7%, let me just tell you. If, 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 if oil is non-renewable, right, and it's so precious, we'd never get it back, guess what? I wouldn't even be worried about whatever they're talking about. You want my oil, you pay what it's worth, and you give me something for what we can't replace. So. That's, that's how it would go about it. If, it. if it was so precious and so valuable, I'm not just letting it go. This is my house. So if we 
all companies don't drill where the tax breaks are. They there drill where the oil is. There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we got the oil. Well, thank you all so much for those wonderfully spirited answers. Uh, for the next question, this is again for all three of you. Um, do do you do all candidates present uh, present pledge to support the spirit of State Question 788 when it passes with a popular mandate of the people, being a people-powered, people-funded, and people-written policy that is more progressive than any other state marijuana policy, including a pledge to impose no additional restriction or fees for access. We'll start again with you, Mr. Martin. Work to the panel's left. Okay. Uh, I fully support 788. I'm going to vote yes on 788. And if I was elected, I would do everything I could to protect 788. Furthermore, I also support the legalization of marijuana recreationally as well, not just medicinal. We have plenty of examples that that works. We have structures that we can copy. The work is pretty much done for us. As a social worker, you might think I don't get a enough time to spend with the numbers, but um, I love research. I love evidence-based policy, and I love to implement best practices. And the government, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. I like that Josh said that this, this issue is already working wherever, and we're acting as if there's no way possible we're ever gonna regulate it. If, if we feel that way about policy that is being drawn up by people who have this right to participate in their government, that's a slap in the face. That's not what this was meant to do. And so with State Question 788, um, I will fully support it. I'm gonna vote yes for that. I'm gonna vote yes for Shea White. We'll have a good party that same night, June 26th. And I think at the end of the day, it's bigger than regulation. It is offensive to democracy to, to shut this out and, and create this fear around this, uh, this issue. I, I like that the people uh, are getting stuff on the ballot because that's another way our dysfunctional government can work properly. So yes on 788 all the way. I totally support uh, State Question 788. I really wish it would have had a component where we could commute sentences um, because we know that people of color and those disabled and veterans are the ones that are unfairly <coughs> incarcerated for medical marijuana use. Um, I absolutely want it passed the way that it is because if it is not, the regulations and the stipulations that legislators wanna put on it will be for their benefit. Make no mistake, they'll be against it now. And they will be so concerned with the morality of Oklahomans once this passes, and they will be the first ones wanting to dispense it and profit off of it. And that will be the gentrification of medical marijuana in Oklahoma, and that will set the platform for when we do legalize recreational marijuana in the state of Oklahoma. It should be passed as is and follow the will of the people. I would say, uh, I was, I'm a former substance abuse counselor. And so when they tell you things like marijuana is the gateway drug to harder drugs, um, I hope marijuana is a gateway to, to, to less severe 
opioid addiction, um, the crisis we have. So, um, like I said, we are real people with real issues, and the opioid crisis is a public health issue. And if we don't give people a way out, you know, at the same time we're talking about taxing cigarettes, uh, you know, a dollar fifty a pack. If I was a teacher right here in the state of Oklahoma, oh man, I'd have some stock in that market. <laughs> but we we can't police people like this. I mean, we the people have the power. This is our government, and we need to be involved. Yeah, thank you all so much for your responses. We're going to move on to uh, two specific questions. Uh, this first one's for you, Mr. Martin. Uh, on the questionnaire you provided for uh, Green Country DSA asking for our endorsement, you stated you are unwilling for pragmatic reasons to identify as a socialist because you identify as a member of the Democratic Party. Do you feel that being a member of the party and also a socialist is mutually exclusive? And can you elaborate on why you feel that at this moment in history where a socialist won the Democratic presidential primary in Oklahoma, that it is not pragmatic to run as one? I'm going to answer the last question first because I voted for Bernie. I don't believe that they're mutually exclusive, but I cannot run on the ballot as a socialist. So when I say that I don't identify as a socialist, that doesn't mean that I don't identify with socialist causes. I think that we agree on probably 10 out of 10 of the most important <laughs> issues. I, I also stated in that question that I believe in building strong political coalitions. And just because the Democratic Party and the Democratic Socialist Party are two different entities does not mean that they cannot work together, and it does not mean that they cannot share candidates. I am here today because I believe in everything that the Democratic Socialists of Green Country are working for. I am here today because I believe in this cause. Um, I think the main statement in my answer is that I can't run on the ballot as a Democratic Socialist. We could debate whether or not that's right all day, but as it stands, go ahead. So this has come to my attention that some people have been talking about this, and I want to actually make it absolutely clear that Green Country DSA is not a political party. We aren't intending to build a political right. party, and we're not asking candidates to run as socialists on the ballot. And for our endorsement process, we are only going to be endorsing except in sp special circumstances of candidates who are willing to say, as Bernie did, while running as a Democrat, I am a Democratic Socialist. Sure. Or I am running. I mean, you just told me that you believe in all the Democrats know the ideals of socialism so maybe I'll have to brief its question I'm not asking uh, if you're willing to run as a socialist on the ballot I'm asking yeah. if you identify as a socialist I identify as a socialist <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably the easiest way to answer that question so I took the <laughs> I took the questionnaire very literally <laughs> that's okay um, so that's where that's where that answer comes from and that's what I my point was Oh, oh, that one was just for Mr. Martin. I've oh, got, a, I've yeah, got no, one all, all for you. <laughs> okay. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so, yes, Ms. White. Um, since the 2016 election, we have, all, we have heard the Oklahoma Democratic Party embrace the term progressive, but we rarely see that matched with a new radical politics. As someone running in a primary against another self-described progressive, 
Do you intend to be an independent voice unafraid to buck the party line? And what policies do you think Oklahoma's Democrats need to embrace to be, more pr to be progressive in more than just name? So Shay White for House District 77 is the kind of candidate that <laughs> is complex. And as a fully realized human being, I will not be contained. <laughs> and I don't know about bucking the party line, but with my opportunity, uh, I might have been bucked. But I'm, I'm trucking. You know, I'm on the doors. I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel great about the two major party system that we have here. I was talking to, a, you know, for identification purposes, a 70-year-old white man on the doors. He grew up in Holland. And he said we got to do something. And, and I think, you know, with the supermajority on either side, it's horrible. We have to strike a balance. And I'm, I'm going to work towards, you know, if we can't get more than two major parties recognized, that there need not be more than, you know, 40 of each. Because right now there's what, 32 Democrats out of 149 people at the Capitol, um, maybe less than that. We've been picking up some special elections. But to speak to the progressive portion of the question, you know, uh, practice makes perfect. I grew up listening to that. Um, and then I, I, I took my own mantra in high school, no struggle, no progress. And, you know, I, um, I'm tired of uplifting the struggle. Let's show the progress. I mean, you have to, progress is shown. You go from a Nokia to an iPhone. You feel that progress, you interact with it. And so being a woman and a person of color, this is huge progress, not only for the Democratic Party, but for the state of Oklahoma. And as this trail is being blazed, my shoes are laced up and I'm ready for the job. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so this question is going to be for the entire panel. All of you will get a chance to chime in. We're going to start on the left with Ms. McKee and move to the panel's left. Um, so it is becoming more and more likely, with the example of West Virginia, of a teacher strike here in Oklahoma. Uh, in addition to support, how, how, how would each of you in your capacity, should you win, uh, commit to the struggle of teachers for better representation, better pay, and better funding for education in our state? And additionally, how can we build a coalition on, of every state government to provide them the support when they put their precarious livelihoods on the line for justice and striking? That's a great question. Um, education is the number one issue I'm hearing on the doors right now. Um, people that are parents, people who aren't parents and just don't want to live with a bunch of stupid people around them, you know? Um, and, and our teachers, just like our corrections officers, just like our DHS workers, just like every other state employee have been underpaid for a really long time. And for the last four years, that has been the main thing that I have been doing, trying to implement many of the, the state level reforms to our tax code to make sure that we fully fund public services like education. Um, there are certain equalizing measures that happen at the state level right now to equalize school funding between rural and urban areas and how exactly the city of Tulsa could step in and change the way that we fund education without the rest of the state doing it is really, it's, it's murky and it's challenging. 
Um, I know our mayor has put forward some policies uh, that I'm, I'm looking into. I am going to listen to the teachers, first and foremost. I have become a reading partner at uh, one of the local elementary schools. And when I go in to get my kid to sit down and help her learn to read and pass that third grade reading test, I'm also talking to her teachers and to the administrators in the office. I want to know exactly what is going on with them to figure out how we make it, as was said, said by one of my uh, fellow counselor candidates, so that they don't have to work at Olive Garden in the evening. They can go home and grade papers if they still have that to do. Um, so I'm going to listen to the teachers. First and foremost, I'm going to look at the data. And, um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm fully 100% committed to figuring this out. Um, it's not just that the children are our future, it's that education is the heart of a community. <coughs> Let me talk about the funding aspect of it first. One of the first things I would be looking at and what I, I want to look at, like the last time the United States had a surplus budget was under Bill Clinton. Maybe we ought to take a look back and see what were you doing then? You know, where were our tax cuts? Where were, where were the benefits? What, what were we focusing on? At the state level, the same thing. We need to roll back the last several tax cuts to put, get the money back in here for the teachers. Uh, taking care of Ken Ham living better is not my business. I don't care how much Chateaubriand he has, he doesn't need any more. Uh, one thing I've really, has really troubled me a lot is I've been hearing, particularly from our president, from some of our other people saying, well, we need to train them in vocational stuff. There is a huge difference between training and education. Training is teaching you to follow, the follow your orders. Training is a basis for tyranny. Education is the foundation of our democracy. That's why Thomas Jefferson and our forefathers wanted free public education. It teaches you to think on your own and, ask on, and, and, and act on your own volition, to, lo to logic through it. Uh, for me, the basis of our government's got to be based on facts and evidence, and with that is the education to know exactly what was the accurate history that got us here. Without that, we are going to turn ourselves into a very caste system, uh, basically working serfs with no benefits. Um, as a, a, a proud supporter of unions, I, I, I fully would support a teacher strike. Um, I would love to see uh, some type of uh, strike fund uh, that state workers would have access to um, to deal uh, uh, for, for when these issues are happening. Um, I feel like our, our we have one of the best teaching teachers uh, schools in the country, yet we have one of the hardest times keeping teachers because we, because we have such a low rate of pay. And so I, I, we really need to look at making some fundamental changes to how we're, we're uh, supporting these people that are training future generations. Um, I think we need to look at, uh, I, I have family that works in, Tulsa, in the Tulsa Public School System. Um, I think we need to take a serious look at that and I think there's a lot of uh, trimming that can be done with the administration and that money diverted instead to the teachers. I think a lot more decision-making needs to be put in 
the teachers and the parents hands not some highly paid administrator um, and I, I think we need to take we, we definitely need to support education and fund it better so should the teachers have any kind of a walkout or strike at any point um, I can't envision a scenario where I wouldn't be right there with them I Again, my mother's been a public school teacher for 35 years, <laughs> and, and we've been waiting for this answer. Uh, I've been with her through everything that the teachers have always fought for and gone through. Um, I think the idea of a, a strike fund would probably be a very good idea, but this is something that as a state representative, the power would be entirely in our um, legislative body's hands to, to address. Um, teachers should not have to so heavily weigh what the sacrifices versus the benefits of a strike would be. It should be a pretty easy no-brainer answer that if they have a problem and collectively can agree that it's not being addressed, they have the right to strike. I, um, I think that in addition to, as I said earlier, in addition to providing teachers with a pay raise, they need more support at the school level. We need librarians, we need textbooks, we need um, more teachers in general, um, as well as a pay raise for custodial staff teachers, librarians, administrators, you know, uh, the entire school system is underfunded. So this is something that needs to be addressed from the bottom up. As, a, as an organizer, I, um, I've actually been to uh, where Charles <coughs> just left. I protested and held up signs and was on the news in front of that dollar store. Um, can, can be everywhere. I gotta figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> when I come up with something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, in my first life I was an octopus, but now I just have two arms and two legs. But, um, yeah, absolutely strike. You know, it's happening in Virginia. It's working. And we, it is offensive to have let this crisis get to this point to where, you know, without a job, you don't get a raise. <laughs> to where they're, you know, considering losing their employment to have better employment opportunities. And it's profound. And that is, that is the beauty of we the people. That's what this whole thing is about. And um, as a legislator, I will work towards getting rid of the right to work or, you know, amending some things and making sure that these demonstrations are protected because that is how you move the needle when you have something like the GOP supermajority. And as long as I've been organizing and advocating, the education crisis has been the talk of the town. The legislators know it. I, a five-year-old five <laughs> knows that education is bad. They know. So, you know, if I was a teacher, I probably would have already organized the strike because that is the way to do it. And so, absolutely. So, um, I'm totally for, completely, totally for a teacher strike. Um, I ended up, this is kind of a side note, I ended up refinancing my home recently um, to have a little extra money to do some things that needed to be done and 
after refinancing, I ended up receiving a, a refund for the escrow account. I didn't expect it to be coming in, so yay, free money. Um, so I took a portion of that money and I went over to Sam's and I bought dry erase markers, uh, paper, pencils, and just uh, clean wipes. And I took it over to my daughter's teacher and she praised me so much for doing that. And it is completely sad to me that they get so excited when people supply them with the supplies that should already be there. And that they, if, if a parent doesn't supply this, in, this stuff, then they have to take out of what little they already receive to go and purchase this stuff for students. And so yeah, uh, I, I would probably take off from work and go out there and stand with them in solidarity to help them uh, get what they need in order to provide the education for my child and everybody else's child. Um, so yeah, I guess that's time. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> I thought that was time. <laughs> Um, Yoshe White, 30 seconds. <laughs> Let me just say. <laughs> she got 30 more seconds. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, teachers need our support. They're teaching young people to be able to think for themselves and act upon the things that they've been taught. And... Um, somebody just recently said to me, um, what you put into it is what you get out of it. So what's everybody, everybody going to put into it? So anyone who knows me knows I'm always down for a good protest. I'm usually organizing them <laughs> and calling people to action and accountability. Um, although I really wish that teachers didn't have to go against Oklahoma law in order to get full funding for public schools and education. That's not their burden, even though they consider it their calling, right? So we have got to fight the right to work laws in the state of Oklahoma. That's the biggest thing that we can do. Because if teachers were, were able to organize and have the collective bargaining power, um, then this wouldn't be happening right now, okay? They don't want 1992 and a teacher strike going on. Um, their memories have, have failed them. They know what teachers can do and workers can do when they have collective bargaining uh, powers. Um, so if, if I'm elected, that's absolutely something that I, would do, that I would do. It's part of my platform. It's something that I believe in for all workers, um, but also for teachers. And then um, we need to make sure that we have an equitable tax um, policy in Oklahoma so that this doesn't keep happening. And we need to make sure that we're not just shoring up our budget deficit because we really want to protect these teachers now, and we do, but we want to protect generations of teachers so that this doesn't keep happening. Um, and I also am 
am a big believer that protests should cost something. They should, you know, they should cost people time off work and it should be uncomfortable or it should cost students walking out, getting punished because that's the way that, cha that change happens, right? Power concedes, concedes nothing unless we make it. Um, so I, 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 right now I can't do anything because I'm not elected, but we can make sure that, that the general public knows that teachers are not the enemy, it's the people that are representing us who haven't been doing their jobs. Well, thank you all so much for those great answers. We're gonna focus now back down to uh, the city council election. And so with our remaining city council uh, members here, uh, I have a general question. We'll start with Ms. McKee and we'll go to Mr. Harlan. Um, in 2017, a, a civil complaint was filed against IMSA, a public for-profit trust that runs our, civil, our city's transportation service, um, due to a kickback scheme entered with a Texas-based provider. We have since been asked the citizens of Tulsa to pay higher fees due to the legal costs of this litigation, and the case has been on hold pending criminal investigation. Uh, the Tulsa Fire Department has put forward a proposal to make our ambulance services a municipal service rather than what amounts to a corporation. Would you support such a move from the private to the public sector? And would you be a voice on the city council for removing the profit motive from services for the public good such as this? Ah, go firefighters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I'm just learning about this issue. As I mentioned, I have been focused at the state level. Um, someone brought this up to me just the other day on the doors actually. And so I'm just learning about it. And I didn't realize that the proposal came from the firefighters. And that's really great to hear. I, ha I have a firefighter coming to knock doors with me tomorrow. Um, you know, yeah, uh, it's um, it's horrible to hear about any sort of corruption happening like that. It's corruption and manipulation is what has made people feel wary of various institutions, whether they're private or public. I would love for this to become a, a public institution as long as it's very transparent and accountable because the manipulation can happen anywhere and I want, there's. There's no reason with our current technology that we can't see the numbers, the real numbers, and be able to see the facts about where the money's going and who's getting paid what. And so, yeah, that sounds like a good idea to me. I'm gonna look into it more, but um, I'm really glad that the firefighters are stepping up and, and, and trying to, to share a solution. That's, that's exciting to hear. I think I think this is a good idea. I, th I think that, uh, well, I personally think that the profit motive should be removed from anything dealing with healthcare, whether it be transportation, etc. Um, that's not something we should be worrying about profit on. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely all for it. Uh, I also agree that that it should be uh, as transparent as possible, so that uh, it avoids issues with corruption and. Uh, so yes, I would completely support it being municipal. Thank you so much. Um, I'll stay with you, Mr. Harlan. Um, so though this is a nonpartisan race, and this, this question is just for you, uh, and though this is a nonpartisan race, you intend to run independent of the Democratic Party and openly as a socialist. Uh, this has been a winning strategy for candidates, uh, both in Seattle and in Jackson, uh, but those candidates had very strong community coalitions behind them. How can we build such a community coalition to bring radical politics to the city council? And what kind of commitments and outreach would you start with to do so? Um, uh, 
think a lot of it is uh, is coalition building, and, and I've been an activist in Tulsa for a while, and uh, it's that's really starting to gain steam, and I think we're seeing a lot more power coming from progressives and from the left because of that coalition building, and it is it is a rough thing to build in this very red state. <laughs> um, so it, it's it's a, it's a definite struggle. Um, the best thing I, I think I could do in city council would be to work. Uh, uh, I've worked a lot of years in customer service, and I learned how to listen well. And so I think uh, a lot of it a lot of it helps with just sitting down and listening to what other people have to say and uh, finding common ground and. Uh, building that. Uh, I, I think also there's a lot of people that may not identify as socialist or progressive, but still there's a lot of common ground on a lot of these issues. Uh, everybody wants to be able to pay their bills and, you know, be safe where they live and, uh, you know, get along with their neighbors. And uh, so uh, uh, there's a number of issues that I personally um, have a lot of passion for, but I'm open to supporting any issues that that uh, bring people together. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. You know, one of the things I love about running for city council is that it's a nonpartisan race. I have coordinated a statewide nonpartisan coalition for the last four years, and um, and that's been really, really, um, really enriching in my life because. As my colleague was just saying, when it comes down to the basics, people tend to agree. Um, while I'm registered as a Democrat, I've been all at all the Republican events and at this event and at all of the events for all of the parties lately because, because I want to represent absolutely everyone. And when I'm on the door, and, um, and that is not par popular with everyone either on the left or the right, that I'm passionately nonpartisan, but let me tell you, yesterday I was knocking doors and three of the best conversations I had were with Republicans in their 80s who wanted to talk to me about beekeeping, community gardens, and poverty and homelessness, y'all. Like, people care. People care all over the place. And when you get face-to-face -face with someone and you set the, the, those, those hot-button topics aside, most of us really are basically human and feel the same about a lot of things. And the things where we don't, sometimes a conversation and really hearing each other and showing that we hear can bridge, can bridge those differences. So I am passionately nonpartisan as well. Well, that's very good to hear. I actually have a question for you. This is, this is the last one on our city council panel, but uh, um, Ms. McKee, on your website, you claim there are brilliant innovations and collaborative solutions that can make Tulsa transportation work for all. What are some of those innovations and solutions, and how will they help reduce the, the role cars play in Tulsa's transportation? Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned, I spent all of my 20s riding a bicycle. My bicycle was like part of my body. Um, it's not that I couldn't own a car, it was that I didn't need a car because I was, I was living in Norman, it was really flat, and it was really easy to get around. Um, it's more challenging in Tulsa, but I ride Tulsa as well. But I know that with the GO plan, the city of Tulsa and the bike committee has been working really hard to make Tulsa more bikeable. We've also had some ex uh, expansions planned for um, a rapid transit bus route on 
11th Street and on Peoria. I'm really excited about those things. My mother lives in Washington, D.C., and I love riding the metro. I lived in Ecuador for a year, and I lived in Guadalajara, Mexico, and I could ride public transit anywhere, anywhere I wanted to go, any time of day. Right now, if you want to buy ice cream and ride the bus, uh-uh. No, it's not making it home. <laughs> and so I really, I really want our public transit si system to be one where everybody can get to their job. We are about to hit an elder boom. The baby boom, it's becoming an elder boom. And let me tell you, one of the most demoralizing things that can happen to a human being is being trapped in their house. I am not okay with folks being trapped at home and not able to safely get somewhere. And so there's a lot of innovative ideas. I've had some really interesting meetings lately since I've declared my candidacy with people who want to do some things um, with um, solar pods and various lift services and all sorts of self-driving cars. There's a lot, as I mentioned, a lot of innovation out there. And I think Tulsa is ripe for some new ideas. Um, we have been isolated and we aren't on either of the coasts. We aren't saturated um, with all sorts of, of projects happening. A lot of neat things can come here, but it takes getting out and finding out what the people are doing, what people are passionate about, what they're thinking about, and what matters. And I think we can do that. I hope I answered your question. Yeah? All right. <laughs> you did a great job. All right, we are going to move down to County Commission race for Teresa Marler. Um, so this is a, uh, a uh, bit of an add-on to the earlier question uh, we asked you. So in addition to the decision on 287G and contracts like it, the Board of County Commissioners makes decisions on land purchases, auditing county agencies, and has a focus mainly on business. Uh, will you pledge to be a voice for working class people and the disenfranchised in a world dominated by moneyed interests? And if so, what are some specific ways or policies you think you can make our county government more equi equitable and accessible? Um, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, so, listening to more of the disenfranchised is very important. Um, getting uh, um, people from different areas of Tulsa and putting out basically a questionnaire uh, with these issues would be first, my first plan is to ask the people of Tulsa County, what areas are you wanting to see improved? What can I do to help you improve your situation in life? Um, so I can bring it to the council meeting and express to them, these are what I'm hearing, these are what people want, let's make a plan and get it implemented. Um, uh, as far as like land and, uh, I'm sorry, what was the other thing you said? Uh, auditing. Auditing. Yes. Um, my background is in accounting. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty well versed in, in uh, numbers. Um, I can look at a report and, and pretty much tell you if the numbers look right. Um, and if they look funny or off, I will do the research and find out why they're off. And uh, 
So, um, yeah, I guess I, I'm done. I, 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 I do have a bit of a follow-up okay. for you. Um, so this, this comes from s some experience I have both working as a journalist mm -hmm. and in the legal field. And one of the questions I have, and I think one of our candidates had already mentioned it earlier, is would you support uh, a policy of working to digitize county records, including mechanics liens oh, and liens absolutely. on housing? Uh, yeah, I think that that would be um, very helpful um, to have an electronic record where I'm all about openness and ease of access. Um, so yeah, totally. All right, very interesting. Very, thank you so much for your responses. We're going to turn now to Mr. Barry uh, for our, the end of our panel discussion. Um, so, Mr. Barry, as a member of the House of Representatives, would you commit to reducing military spending? And more broadly, how would you seek to lessen the military's defining role in American foreign politics? Oh, you want that in three simple sentences? <laughs> if you can. <laughs> I also happen to be a volunteer with the coffee bunker and I work with the veterans and I'm also PTSD, which is one of the issue, big issues to me. The recent budget that came down really offends me. How in the world can we justify spending more money on defense than the next eight or nine nations combined? None of them are our enemies. <laughs> Nobody's going to attack us. All that's doing is rolling money over into continuing buying more equipment, which also hits our police issue. Because once they're equipment, they got more than they want, they give it to the police departments and they sell it to the public. And then like Chuck Jordan said, I need to have my armored, perso armored personnel carriers because people carry bigger guns now. But he's not in favor of limiting those guns. Lots of logic there. Uh, that needs to be cut up. One of the things that's big on, on my view is every one of those government contracts needs to cut, a, cut aside, earmark 10 to 15% for long-term veteran care. When I was in Baghdad, I came up on this area roughly five to 10 acres. And these were all of our military vehicles that were blown apart. And the guys were explaining to me those vehicles, because they're very, very expensive depleted uh, uranium, are headed back to the United States to be melted down and brought back. But what about the soldiers that were inside of them? What are we doing for them? In 2014, our, sitting, our current sitting attorney general, Jeff Sessions, said that long-term veterans care is an entitlement that's too expensive for us to, for us to afford. We need to look at exactly what is our role how much money do we want to put out of it? And also, let's take a look at a place like Scotland. I just came from there. I happen to really like them. They have complete health care. They have, uh, on their education system, my friend's daughter just graduated with a master's degree, $30,000 in debt, which she does not start paying until her income reaches a certain level. That puts people on the property level and assets level earlier. And he has never paid more than 15% a year in taxes. And a lot of it is because they don't have a giant standing army like we seem to need. Let's take a look at what our needs are, what our actual threats are. And let's quit listening to everybody that wants the new and the fancier toys. 
Thank you so much. Um, the final question we have for you is that both DSA and Red Star over Oklahoma endorse prison abolition, as outlined by black radicals and other, other members. So, so as a former member of law enforcement, do you support prison abolition? And what insight do you bring onto, into the prison issue as a, as a former member of law enforcement? Okay, the decriminalization. Yeah, okay, because I couldn't always catch everything you were saying. There. Number one, the, the, the drug offenses, and I was, I went to Senator Lankford's talk over on East Pine, and I was absolutely offended by him. Uh, the opioid issue is not coming out of Mexico. We're manufacturing our own damn apple opi opioids, along with a lot of the other issues, but we are not going to go after them. But I was listening to NPR, and they were talking about, I believe it was Switzerland, that all of their substances is, uh, is strictly treatment. They do not jail people for possession. They don't jail people for having a problem. And so therefore, they openly go and get treatment. They have had zero opioid deaths in the last five years. Yeah, so we need to have a complete relook. We need to do completely away from prisons for profit because that inspires us to put more people in prison. And it keeps them there longer. Uh, so all of that is completely wrong. Anything that has to do with uh, giving profit to running prisons or running a county jail or whatever is absolutely, to me, morally reprehensible. So we need to get back, what is it that we're trying to do? What is our goal? Our goal is not to show a, a, a year-end profit, i.e. the Central, or the ambulance company. I started Central, that's the old one. <laughs> uh, but we need to make sure those services are taking care of the people. It is not our job to assure a profit for XYZ Corporation. Thank you so much. Uh, that's going to end this portion of the panel. Um, now we're going to open up the floor for a town hall Q&A so that uh, members of the audience can come forward and ask you guys questions and you guys have an opportunity to respond. Uh, so for that, we will open the floor. So in one of your responses, you mentioned doing a questionnaire to the city and making sure that uh, you're aware of all the issues that people need addressed. And so my question to you is, will you commit to make sure that when you assess that questionnaire, that you are paying attention to those uh, communities and groups that have been uh, passed over the most, rather than those who are, are majority represented in, in those responses? I think that um, it would be, I mean, to have the questionnaire, I would like it to be digital as well as mailed to houses and with it having like free postal so it can they just fill out and stick it in the mail and it comes back um, that way they don't even have to pay to fill out the questionnaire because I know how hard it is to sometimes get to the post office to get stamps um, so that would be one of my goals is to have everybody actually answer it and have a section maybe on the back of it for them to fill in anything that I might may have missed in the questionnaire. I have a question for the state house um, candidates today. Um, that it goes into workers' rights and compensation, basically. 
And the specific question is if you will introduce or support a bill that raises the minimum wage to 15, but that, on, but that also includes a provision that matches the minimum wage according to inflation every certain amount of years. That way, the workers don't have, uh, after a certain amount of years, whenever uh, wages are not a living wage based on inflation, right? Uh, so they don't have to utilize a momentum again to get a living wage. So would you? The, the question is, would you support not only a fifteen dollar uh, minimum wage, but that also matches inflation, so they are taking care or it's a, like a long-term solution to the issue. So that is part of my platform and as my platform mentions, the $15 an hour living a wage is the jumping off. It's just the first step in ensuring that we have an equitable economy for the working class people. And the only way we make sure that happens is, for to, is to put uh, protections in place that the living wage increases in proportion to inflation. And and that's the only way that we make sure that that's fair. And I understand that there are people that will say $15 an hour in Oklahoma, you're crazy. That's too low, okay? The fair living wage in the state of Oklahoma is about $23 an hour. That is still compromising. And so in order to make sure that that does not keep happening, we need to do what we propose. This is a part of my Jorge. Look, see, that was my that was the the quickest protest action I've ever got moved. So let's keep this up. All right, um, very simple, Jorge. I want the person who teaches our children, who fixes our hamburgers, who looks after our grandmothers, who carries our mail. All of these people need to be able to go home to their families and do what they need to do to provide. I'm one of them. I mean, it's, it's, it's not only teachers, and um, it's all about money. And the money is there, and it is somewhere. And, it, and you know, um, I, t I talk about this quote from Joe Biden. And he said, you know, don't tell me what you value. You show me your budget, and I'll tell you what you value. And I think having a living wage, I negotiate my salary all the time. It is inhumane almost to have to explain to somebody that you do realize I had to take a payday loan, which is very uh, predatory towards people who aren't able to afford to feed and clothe themselves. So um, we have a high homeless population and that's because we're losing hope in Oklahoma. We're losing hope because if I, if I don't have a roof over my head, you know, I, I'm spending my whole day just trying to find a place dry if it's raining, just trying to find some shade if it's too hot. And to do what? to go and maybe get $9 an hour, and, that, and that's generous. So um, let's, let's look out for our sisters and brothers. Let's, let's be a leader for, for a change, and I doubt that um, 
Oklahoma will miss out on this opportunity because at the Capitol, we're going to raise it. <laughs> um, I I fully agree with what Angela said. The 15 is too low. I would support and do support the movement to raise the minimum wage to 15 and higher. I do support tying it to inflation and uh, providing a consistent um, increase over year over year. Um, the highest wage job that I've ever worked in my life was 14.35 an hour. So very very close to that, and we still went hungry multiple weeks out of the year. 15 is not enough. We have some of the cheapest rent <laughs> that we can find in the city, and we 15 was still not enough. And for the kind of work that is required, 15 is not enough. People think that flipping burgers is, is not worth $15 an hour or that um, some of these working class jobs aren't worth that, and they very, 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 very much are. They're some of the hardest jobs you can work. So, 15 is not low enough. I do support 15 and higher, and I do support um, tying it to inflation. Hi, this question is mostly for um, Mr. Barry and anybody running for state legislature. Um, do you support campaign finance reform, and would you support public funding of elections? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, particularly since Citizens United Running campaigns has gotten ridiculously expensive to where it's almost the, the private area of those that are very wealthy. Um, Citizen United needs to be turned over. I, I support public funding of the, uh, of the campaigns. Um, in particular, a friend of mine that was running for one of the state house seats last time, and she worked very, very hard. I also know that she was running with something close to $20,000 but the person she was running with had a half a million dollar budget that, you know, their, their, her, the other person's money was from inherited companies. You know, if you can come up with a half a million dollars to run for a house seat, you're blocking out the average person. Uh, I have been told that my, 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 uh, my run competitive is going to be about a half a million dollars. So I'm th hoping I can just make it work through on a quarter million. But like uh, one of my top uh, opponents right now, Kevin Hearn, who's the McDonald's millionaire, also runs a payday loan operation, a few other things. He's able to loan his own operation, a half a million dollars, plus pull in another half a million from the outside. That's pretty much buying elections, and that's wrong. How do you get the elections back to the average person? I'm overturning Citizens United. Uh, there is something, a group organizing called American Promise, um, and that group is um, trying to get a 28th Amendment added to the uh, Constitution to overturn Citizens United. I don't think a, a corporation is equal to a human vote. I, it just, it's, it's so very different. If you are a part of a corporation and you want to be involved, guess what? We the people includes you, and there's a way to do it. And um, I'm actually organizing local with the Tulsa chapter of American Promise. If you want to, you know, talk about how you can help, what this would do, um, if, if if elected, I am willing to take legislation to the Capitol for us to 
recognize the 28th Amendment as a state, which would help. Um, it's a bipartisan agreement. I mean, people from both sides of the aisle understand how dangerous um, this corporate contributions to campaigns and these super PACs are to, uh, as a threat to our democracy. So, um, absolutely. As everybody else has pointed out, Citizens United has been disastrous, but there have been other rulings in campaign finance that have kind of paved the way for it to happen. So we've had this problem for, you know, not 20, 30, but I think over 40 years now that this has been happening. And the Supreme Court doesn't necessarily rule on morality, but they rule on whether or not something is legal. And if we are going to allow the laws to be so lax that they can be interpreted that way, that's kind of where the buck stops. We don't need to... It takes a very long time for Supreme Court justices to die and turn over. <laughs> so we don't need to wait for that to happen to overturn Citizens United. We need to do things that change the laws that will overwrite the um, rulings based on previous laws. So uh, I'm fully, fully, fully in support of doing that. I'm fully in support of publicly funded elections. And um, I think that this is something that, like she said, that, that, that can become a movement and we could really affect some change. funded elections because as we know then what that means is that the you know if I am funded by a tax or I am funded by really wealthy corporations that then I am not meeting the needs and listening to the people and this is supposed to be a democracy built on representation um so we know that corporations right now they get as much as a say as individual people and that's not okay because they don't pay my bills and they don't shop at my grocery store, right? And they don't pay taxes in my community, okay? And so that is what has happened. Unfortunately, personally, with some of my legislators, they won't listen to me even though I can vote for them because the $5 that I can give them is nothing compared to the cap amount that, that multiple corporations can give them, and that's the problem. And so I would support any coalition and effort that we can build in the House to change the laws in Oklahoma. Um, maybe we could put something together where we could ask um, at the DMV or different times of year if they want to donate money to Oklahoma's um, elections, things like that. We need more opportunity for people to be able to do that. <coughs> and, uh, and in a um, nonpartisan manner, like at the DMV level, we have to build it. Yeah, thanks everybody. Thank you, Chance. Thank you, Chance. I am a city council candidate, but I, w I do have to absolutely raise money. I'm so glad I don't have to raise as much as y'all. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, there are a few other things that I would love to see us do, like declare election day a holiday. Um, the city of Tulsa could do that with the city employees right away, right away, and then we could expand it from there. Um, I'd also like to see some election consolidation we have so many elections, people miss elections all the time, and, and nobody should be disenfranchised by not having enough information. Um, you know, I resigned from my job, this dream job that, I, job that I loved, in order to run, and my husband and I decided to run on just his salary because we knew that it was going to take me spending all of the time I possibly could. Now,
Now, as someone who's working class, who's worked my whole life, who never planned to be dependent on a man to pay my bills, <laughs> there's a little ego death that happens in there, except that I know I'm out pounding the pavement all day. It shouldn't, it shouldn't take us having to live on beans and rice for us to get some working class candidates into office. Uh, as alluded to uh, earlier with uh, our question to you, John Harlan, Chokwe Lumumba won in a very red state uh, openly as a socialist without the support of the Democratic Party by building through Cooperation Jackson a large community coalition mainly based around worker cooperatives. Richard Wolf is a, someone who talks a lot about uh, worker cooperatives and how we can incorporate them into our society to democratize the workplace. So this question I'm going to put to the city councilors. Uh, and ask if there are any ways that you as a city councilor would be interested in trying to, in addressing the food desert problem and addressing the public transportation problems or any other way that we can create an investment for workers, whether on the city level or through subsidizing possible startups to get them actually active and committed to those, uh, you know, what we want to happen, whether they're public services, whether they're addressing uh, gaps in our community. So I'll uh, go first to you, Karen. Um, well, I don't know, but I may be the only candidate running in the state who's a member owner in a couple of working cooperatives. Um, I've been a member, uh, thank you, I've been a member, <laughs> thanks, I've been a member owner in the Oklahoma Food Cooperative uh, since 2003, I believe. I brought some Oklahoma Food Co-op bumper stickers. They're over there with the begonia, with uh, Shay and I's material. So feel free to, to grab one if you'd like. Um, and I also helped found a uh, cooperative business uh, focused on composting years ago. And, um, and cooperative business ownership is a really great um, alternative to unions. I'm in full support of unions and in a right to work state, a one workaround is worker, worker owned cooperatives. And I think that there's a lot of possibility for that. Um, and I'm, that's, that is a fan fascinating question, Mr. Doolittle, and I bet you've got some ideas about how the city could in incentivize some more worker, worker cooperatives, and I wanna know about that because I think that that could make a lot of sense. There are a lot of issues we've talked about with regard to homelessness and food shortages and housing and um, dis discrimination and racism and age segregation and wealth segregation and so on and so forth that by having people have ownership in and, and franchise in, in their own work, that there's, there's a lot we could do to address that. So thanks for bringing up the question. Let's talk some more. Uh, I've, uh, I completely support worker co-ops. I've uh, been a long time member of the IWW, uh, uh, really support unions. Um, I've, I personally have a couple of project ideas that I'd like to push forward with developing for addressing not only the food desert issue, but also the job issue, and that is using, uh, uh, looking for ways to help uh, groups in those communities build things like vertical farming setups, uh, mm -hmm. stuff like aquaculture, which can grow a large amount of nutritious food in a small amount of space, and uh, it ends up being a, uh, <coughs> people don't have to pay an arm and a leg for the food. It's, it's uh, uh, low infrastructure, low overhead to, to produce. And also, by making them worker co-ops, uh, instead of the profit going to one person, the workers share in that, and 
those workers can be provided with a living wage, which is another thing we desperately need in Tulsa's sources of living wages. Uh, so I would I would definitely love to work with anybody on, on those type of things as well as pushing, uh, trying to find different ways for either the city to subsidize or encourage investment or whatever in those type of projects. Well, thank you so much. Uh, at this time, we're going to uh, call the Town and Hall Q&A to an end. We're going to give you guys an opportunity. We'll just go from Miss McKee down uh, just real quickly to tell us if you have any upcoming events, uh, where to find your uh, promotional materials, and how to get involved. And so we'll do that real quickly, and then we'll be adjourning. Thank you guys so much. I want to thank you all again for taking the time this afternoon to come out. It means a lot to know that you care. Um, I am going to be knocking doors every day except Wednesday. Wednesday is now my weekend. Um, and, and so, and I know that there are folks, like right now I have two friends that are hairdressers and they're going to knock with me on Tuesdays. If there is a time that you want to come out and be a part of my campaign, I want to know when that is. There is, uh, there is a sign up over there where you can even put in information about what days that you are available. As I mentioned, I really want you to take my survey on kjfortulsa.com. I will have a businesses survey coming out later this week that's specifically aimed at talking, uh, learning from, from owners, managers, and, and workers in business here in Tulsa about what's going on with them and how we can make things better. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to do this. My favorite thing about it is being on the doors and learning from people. I hope if you haven't knocked doors or made phone calls that you'll give it a try because it's really encouraging. I feel a lot less alone and a lot more um, enthusiastic, and I was already pretty enthusiastic, even more enthusiastic about what we can do as humans to make society better and make, it, um, make, make life and a high quality of life available to everyone. Thanks, y'all. Well, I've been thinking about starting my new job as a microphone master and hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to be doing the kickoff this month. Finally got all the FEC forms through, IRS forms. <laughs> and they're going, okay, yeah, we really won't put you in prison. <laughs> uh, so those will be getting kicked off here this, this month. Uh, looking primarily right now uh, what I could really use I need people with some kind of back uh, accounting background because this we're gonna be running a shoestring operation we're not gonna have the money to pay a couple of thousand a month for somebody someone to review our ethics uh, multimedia savvy individuals and letter writers one of the best things you can do is have teams that write letters to all the various newspapers and media people and keeping that name out there look for all the cheap publicity we can find and push it hard. Uh, I've got my stuff over there on the table. Sign up for it. Let me know what you want. We're, we're picking up some pretty good volunteers. Thank you. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, later this month I'll be launching my campaign officially. Um, uh, I'm, of course, going to be looking for volunteers, for donations, uh, and but uh, always open to suggestions if anybody has any issues um, or uh, things they'd like me to look into. And uh, 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 you can also find me on Facebook. Uh, and, uh, but 
I've got my donation envelopes right there, and that is one of two huge, huge, huge things that I need. I need money or time. If you've got money but no time, I need the money. And if you've got time but no money, I need your time. We need door knockers. We need people who can make those phone calls. Like KJ said, it's not that bad. It's pretty fun. And we're going to start really door knocking in full um, later this month. I'm going to be having a kickoff hopefully within the next two weeks, but it kind of depends on how many of those envelopes I fill up. Um, the biggest thing that you can do is one of those two things. And if you can't manage either one, I am very sorry. <laughs> That's a tough place to be. I've been there. What you can do is find me on Facebook, share my posts, and just help me get the word out any way you can. Um, I am Josh Martin for Oklahoma House District 70, I think, on Facebook. Uh, VoteJoshMartin.com. If you want to volunteer or uh, donate, talk to us at the table, and uh, we can get you set up. Is your campaign. Shaywhite.com is the place to go to connect. If you're wanting to help us knock doors, um, man, I've been running for this seat for over 18 months. Uh, I've been knocking since October, and I have a primary. Um, so let's just say we're playing our cards, and if you want to come talk, I knock every day other than Monday, so um, six days a week, afternoon or dark, and that's that's where it's at. And I'm glad KJ talked about the opportunity she's having to enrich enrich her life uh, through um, you know public work. And I've um, transitioned into campaigning full time now, so um, it's not a game, y'all. We gotta do it. We gotta win big. And we gotta support people who care about people. And you know, as a public servant, you know, whether elected or not, I'm, I didn't take a vow of poverty. Um, you know, when I was 12 years old, I, I was visited with the idea of one day having an elected office position. And I've always just wanted to serve. I've always wanted to volunteer. And what you see here is a product of my commitment to making this place a better place, to being a change that I want to see. And, you know, like my friend Charles talked about, we've been through a lot, and, and we're very resilient. And there's something to be said about knowing what it's like to lift up your community and be a part of their ever-going struggle. I'll be right over here in the corner. Come talk to me. I actually don't have anything set up right at the moment uh, because it. Um, I was originally going to run for my house district, um, but this nice gentleman here suggested yeah. that I, with my background, it would be better and I could probably impact Tulsa a lot better by running for county commissioner. And uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, so right now I'm, I'm looking for 
as much help as I can possibly get. I'm still looking for a campaign manager. If anybody's interested, we can have a conversation. Uh, if there's um, anything you feel strongly about that I can help with, uh, I would love to have a conversation. Uh, if you want to help knock doors and donate and help run my campaign, I would be over the moon to receive that assistance. So um, I'll be back there. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any material either because I don't have anything set up yet. I do have a Facebook. Um, it's uh, right now it is under Teresa Marler's Adventures in Politics uh, because I had it was my my house district political page and I just rolled it over into Adventures in Politics because let's face it it's definitely an adventure. Um, so um, you can hit me up on there. Uh, I answer questions as quickly as I can, as quickly as I receive them. Uh, if you need more information about me, I'm, I'm available. Um, I want to thank Green Country Democratic Socialists for putting this event on and all of the candidates that showed up today. I'm a very proud member of the class of 2018. I mean, if this is any indicator of the quality of people and the quantity of people that we're going to have running, we really are going to be able to do it. Um, I also want to say thank you to everybody who showed up. This is how you get good candidates and you keep them accountable and you encourage other people that are like you to run for office. Mm -hmm. So please keep showing up. I don't say that I am the people's candidate like that is an honor and a privilege to say that. And when I tell you that this campaign is for you, I really mean it. I need your, you're gonna hear every candidate tell you to come and knock doors. It takes a certain amount of voter contact to get them out of their house into the polls. Mm -hmm. So while we're still trying to fight to have an election be a holiday, we still, they still need a lot of encouragement to come out and vote. So, and door knocking is the most fun thing in the world. Like somehow we lost that in our society of, of knocking doors and being in a neighborhood and knowing who lives next to us. Mm -hmm. And it means we're out of touch with the needs of the people. Um, so come help me door knock. I'm going to need people to help drive me because I'll be driving at night and I need somebody to, uh, to drive me while I door knock. Can my donation envelopes are over there. When I say any amount helps, any amount helps. You can find me on Facebook at Angela Graham for Oklahoma, and you can find me online at www.angela4ok.com. I wanted to personally thank each and every one of you for either when we reached out to you coming back to us or reaching out to us afterwards. We kind of cast a wide net, and we honestly, we're not expecting to have nine candidates. Um, you know, we are an openly radical organization, and we wanted to ask tough questions today. And I think everyone here has acquitted themselves amazingly. And we're, whatever, you know, happens next, we want to work in a broad community coalition. We are very dedicated in this organization to local action more than anything else, beyond ideology, beyond anything else. And so thank you all very much. I mean, we've had three more people ask about us after. Um, 
I'm not like we're gonna figure out how that's gonna work if we're gonna do another one of these. But just to let you know, on the 15th, our working group that organizes this will be meeting and kind of deciding next steps. And then on the 23rd, we will be voting on who we're going to be endorsing for this part of the election cycle. We will probably have another forum after the primaries. And at that point, we may have some more people get considered as well. But just to let you know, what we're looking to do is have weekly or at least bi-weekly canvassing as an organization going out to these neighborhoods, working our lists and getting involved directly. And any candidate we endorse, that's what we'll be working on. So like, I'm actually considering basically going part-time at my job and going on the streets and you know, while I, I'm gonna be going out with, uh, for instance, KG, she's in my district, I'm gonna tip my hand a bit, like I'm going to be volunteering for her because I believe in her candidacy, but that's gonna be like my weekend thing. Like on the weekdays, I'm gonna be canvassing for DSA and I'm really excited, you know, for the people we can talk about the endorsements, that we're gonna do this as an organization because I genuinely believe, as everyone talked about, accountability and an actual organizing coali community coalition, this goes beyond just the vote voting box. This goes beyond just or mobilizing for election day. We're gonna be with you hopefully every step of the way. Last but not least, I wanted to say is we had about six people who could not make it today because they went down to Oklahoma City. I wanted to say, say in a few words in solidarity, there was a, a Confederacy uh, memorial march and they went down there to counter protest that. So he's trying to tell me to stop. Uh, and uh, so we were a bit split capacity today. You know, Sometimes things happen just like there's the protest here locally that if I was aware of, I would have probably not organized it today. Uh, and that's, that's part of why community coalition is important. So once we know where people are at in the community, we want to be there. So thank you so much for letting me take some time. I'm going to pass it over to Adam real quick. Yes, thank you so much. I want to say a big thank you to all of our candidates who came out today. Thank you guys so much for participating. I think this has been a great experience. both for uh, y'all to get out here and meet us and also for everyone here to get to hear what you have to say and to hear your positions. I also wanna thank Green Country DSA and all of their members for making this possible. This has been such an amazing experience. Thank you guys so much. I wanna thank Eastside Christian Church as well for allowing us this facility. I wanna thank Dream Act Oklahoma and Aware Tulsa for having uh, questions for the panels. And of course, I'd like to thank our audience uh, for coming out here and for being engaged with us today. Uh, you know, as, as the candidates have said, the people are what matters and the people being out here is what's so important. So thank you everyone who came out today. Finally, I'd like to thank Parker Nelson up there on the ones and twos, uh, who's been recording all of this and doing all this. He is uh, one of our co-hosts on Red Star Over Oklahoma, and we are a political podcast podcasting about Oklahoma from a socialist and leftist perspective. So I hope you guys check it out. Thank you guys so much again for coming. Thank Green Country DSA for all their hard work, and I uh, hope you all have a wonderful day. Enjoy your sunny afternoon.